Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. This podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Dana Doby to the Inside the Eight podcast. Um, Dana is the assistant coach at Loyola and uh, really fired up to have, to have her join me and Colleen McGarrett. Dana, welcome. Thanks, Colleen. Excited to have you. Yeah. Um, Thank you guys for having me on here to talk some lacrosse. No problem. You're a fun one to talk with, so (laughs) especially during this quarantine time. Um, I'll start it off, James. Just kind of wanted to pretty open-ended question for you, Dana, just about your season so far. You guys were crushing it, so just give me a little snapshot on your culture, the vibe, how it was going um, before this kind of all ended, and then I'll get into a little bit more like technical X's and O's questions. Yeah, I mean, the hounds were rolling this season, that's for sure. Um, being 5-0 and 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 being ranked number three in the country before all of this kind of uh, exploded was, you know, not something that we necessarily anticipated, but absolutely something we knew we were capable of. So coming off of last season when we had graduated uh, a huge brunt of our force in our seven starting seniors, you know, a lot of it was unknown going into this season. Freshmen came in um, and really rose to the occasion. And, you know, our returning players wanted nothing more than to not skip a beat from where we ended last year. And, you know, I think that hunger and chip on their shoulders of everyone anticipating that, you know, Loyola, this was going to be an off year for us, you know, really ignited that that fire and we left no stone unturned the fall preseason um and we really charged them with that there were going to be a lot of things over the week over the winter session that would allow you to make excuses shitty weather not feeling great rather hanging out with your family or your friends and and we really pushed the team that if this is something that we want to do and where we want to be at the end of the season then we need to earn the right to be disappointed in in our off-season training um and I think our leadership of our team this season, being all new leaders, you know, they didn't necessarily know what to do other than that they wanted to win. 
Um, and I think that's what the country saw in this 5-0 and start. Um, and it sucks that it was cut short, but I really think we did earn that right to be disappointed. Um, and everyone's just itching to get back to it in, in 21 for sure. Yeah. I mean, I was having fun watching you guys, especially having one of my girls out there doing well for you as a freshman, Wilsey. Wilsey um, was killing it. Yeah, she was doing well. I was excited to see her, you know, under your guys's realm and just like really soaking it all in and just the level of confidence she was showing out there was awesome to see. Yeah, um, I think that that confidence for Emily Wills came from her preparation. And I know, Call, you kicked her butt all summer long. And, you know, being a freshman and coming in with that type of environment and that work ethic and culture, you know, Wills on, on off days was still coming in and getting extra workouts. So a lot has to do with the preparation you helped her with. So we can't thank you enough. Thanks, Dane. Yeah, I love it. Uh, going into just like the offense, obviously, that's where she was behind the net. What what is what's your guys's philosophy are you guys like a two-man game uh from behind um wings yeah. what are you kind of looking to do for Loyola offense this year what did yeah you- I loved it I loved it in the media we kept hearing this season we we're the seven head monster because you know it wasn't about one two or three players on that field it was all seven of them and the ones coming off the sideline as well at any given time anyone was going to be a threat with the ball yeah so the biggest philosophy for us is we want to make sure that our opponents can't scout us. If, if they don't know what we're going to do, we, we know we're in a good position. So just looking at our mismatches and, and taking advantage of all the different styles and players that we have, making sure they're in the right position, but that they're coming from everywhere. You know, a crease attacker doesn't just need to come from the crease or a top dodger doesn't need to just continually come from the, the upper right alley. So preparing them in practice against a lot of different defenses, styles, matchups, and allowing game day to just be free-flowing and, and to create that freestyle and free-flow. We want to play fast. We want you to play to our tempo, and I think that's what the girls did such a great job of this season as we started off. That's awesome. I have one more question, and then I'll hand it over to Jamie to ask some more offensive questions as well. But um, to you know, engage them in that free-flowing and like learning how to read the defense and you know adapt, what were your go-to drills at practice that – you loved to do or your yeah, favorite we, we offer we offer a lot more individuals and, and kind of just drop-in sessions outside of practice just so that they can work on some of those dodges or some of those moves and shots that they don't necessarily get the chance to do that within settled team practices um, and then once we get to team practice it's a really fast-paced practice Um, that only goes for about an hour and a half, and and that includes warm-up. So, you know, a game's only 60 minutes long, so we want to make as much use of those 60 minutes in a game as possible, and that's how we practice. So I don't necessarily think it has to do with the drills that we're doing other than keeping it competitive, keeping it fast-paced, and understanding that, you know, you might not get another chance. So when the drill's over or it's a competitive one that comes to offense versus defense or midfield and transition – you know, that drill ends and, and hopefully one team's on top and the other team wants more. And, and that's kind of just the competitive that we breed in practice that, you know, is a lot of fun. So you can have both. You can be really, really competitive and you can enjoy the process of it as well. And, and that's the ultimate goal of each practice. I love it. It's awesome. James? Yeah, what do you guys do um, in uh, zone offense that would be a little different than man-to-man or would it be the same? Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting concept when you're when you're playing against the zone defense or a player to player 
defense for me if a if an opposition team is in a zone defense you're essentially just in your power play because there's going to be a two v one split opposite ball no matter where you're starting so we focus a lot on just that 2v1, either creating the 2v1 or how to execute that 2v1. And, you know, it's it's amazing when players come into your system and that's not already just built in a part of their innate style of play. You know, you learn that from basketball. You learn that from soccer, from ice hockey, from all these different sports. Um, even something as simple as, you know, create an on-ball pick and slip for that draw and dump. These are things that I think in, in women's lacrosse the rules didn't allow for necessarily. Um, and now that we've we've grown and, and we've adapted to these new rules, we're going to see kids being able to come in and be able to execute those a lot quicker. Cool. What about your um, what about your box lacrosse background um, or your Canadian lacrosse background? How has that impacted the way you coach? Yeah, I think that's everything. Um, I grew up playing box lacrosse in the Fergus Minor lacrosse system when I was four years old. I played on my older brother's um, travel team when I was just, I was supposed to be in the peanut league, but I was a little bit too advanced for that. So they pulled me up and I was playing on my brother's travel team and he's three years older than I am. I rode the bench a lot that season, but at least I got to be amongst it and got to experience it. But, you know, that was everything for me, small-sided, playing offense and defense, 30-second shifts, moving the ball, power plays, player down. Um, and I, I reffed a lot of box lacrosse growing up, growing up too. So a combination between that and being able to play a physical style of a sport, um, you know, where a lot of female lacrosse players or just female athletes were pulled away from that contact at a young age when you go directly into um, girls' sport or women's sport at an early age. So I think playing that that physical contact and understanding how to protect the ball, catch the ball under the pressure, um, is everything in in who I am today as a player as well as a coach. Yeah, interesting. And I think what people don't realize is the importance of the physicality when you're on offense. Absolutely, yeah. I can remember when I made the switch from um, box to field across. I was 14 years old, and I got called for, like, my first charge, and I was kind of like, well, what do you mean a charge? You know, I'm coming out of box lacrosse where you drop your shoulder and you roll through it or you power through it. And, you know, now all of a sudden that's illegal contact. And, you know, if a defender puts pressure into you, you, you apparently can't push back. So it was a lot of adapting to the new rules in, in the field game. But, you know, if I had made that switch now, uh, the rules are a lot more um, right. lenient and a lot more focused on allowing the female athleticism to shine through. Totally. I mean, in Division One women's lacrosse, it's really physical on defense. And if you do not initiate contact on the defender, they're going to initiate it on you, and they're going to bump you off track. For sure. I love, I love where the women's game is going, and um, we owe a lot of credit to the professional league to kind of push forward and, and to play some really innovative and creative rules. And you can see that's really trickled down to the – to the college level and hopefully we see the college level trickle down to the high school. And um, thankfully the, the world international game is evolving as well. So I couldn't be more excited about women's lacrosse and where we are right now. Before I turn it over to Colleen uh, to get started on a new topic, I just want to follow up one last question on box lacrosse for girls. Um, I I've believed in it. I obviously you have, um, I think when you pad up and, and play uh, it's really fun. It's not dangerous. I think uh, playing with 
learning how to play with uh, a men's stick gives you some advantages that can translate into a women's stick. And it's no different than a, a man learning how to play with a woman's stick. Like the, you want to be able to have all that, but I just wanted you to speak to the value of box across for people that might be listening. Yeah, I think, I think the, the two forms of lacrosse and now we have this uh, small sided six V six version that we're looking to push through into the Olympics too. I, you know, I think they all just complement one another so well. Right. Um, you know, being a, a box player and then transitioning into field, obviously all of those skills from box lacrosse led me to be successful in the field game. And I think you can take a field player, drop them in box lacrosse, and you can kind of see how that field style really helps them excel in the box game as well. You know, playing a lot of different sports, playing a lot of different styles of lacrosse, whether it's in the backyard, in the arena or the field, they all complement each other so well because they're so different. And I think that makes lacrosse so unique where a lot of people look at that as a negative thing. I look at that as such a positive thing. We have different disciplines. We have different styles. And people refer to it as boys, box lacrosse, girls, field lacrosse. And to me, it's just lacrosse. And I don't think there needs to be a, a gender associated with that. Girls should absolutely be playing box lacrosse. Right. Boys should absolutely be playing a female style of field lacrosse. All of those disciplines are just going to make us all better lacrosse players in the end. Awesome. Love it. That's awesome. I love that philosophy. And it just, especially for right now, I think it's super helpful for the young girls to hear that. Like, just get out and play. Play lacrosse. Don't overthink it. Just, like, you know, expand your game in a way that's going to help you. And it might not be that traditional way that they think they have to do it. Yeah, and it's so interesting because, you know, you see on Twitter and you see on Instagram this constant battle of, like, men's lacrosse, women's lacrosse, they should change these rules, they should change these rules. And it's kind of like, you know, at the end of the day, strip that all the way, lacrosse is lacrosse. And, you know, it's a traditional game and there's so much so much more to it than, than these rules that we continually pile on to one another. And, you know, I just think back for me in the backyard with my older brother when I started playing field lacrosse and I got this stick and I was like oh my gosh what am I going to do with this tennis racket like how do I fake how do I dodge and you know my brother's out there in the backyard helping me working with my stick and helping me you know be able to transition a little bit more seamlessly to, to the women's style with this stick and you know I loved that and when we play now we're constantly switching sticks and kind of playing around and I think harmonizing lacrosse is going to be the best thing for us as we continue to grow this game around the world. Going off of that, like you have one of the best sticks in the game um, and have for since you've been playing. So like you have an amazing trick shots and like you're constantly, you know, being featured in the WPLL for, you know, your unbelievable shots and you find a way to get the ball in the back of the net. No matter what the angle is, you'll get your stick to that spot um, that you can score and or make the pass. And what are some things that you do or you do with your team now to work on your handle? your, you know, the way you move the stick and the way how to be creative in that sense. Yeah, Kyle, I don't know if I have the best stick work anymore in the game, but thank you yes, so you much do. for that compliment. <laughs> um, it's crazy. I can remember being like four years old and, and being at practice. My dad coached me all the way growing up in hockey and lacrosse too. And, you know, we worked on our peripheral vision. You know, how many kids out there can say that they were doing drills at the youth level working on their peripheral vision? 
Um, and just understanding, we hear this a lot, but I don't know if we necessarily practice it enough that your stick has eyes. So, you know, what you see in your stick sees can be two completely different things. And, um, the biggest thing for my training and, and what we do at Loyola is we, we want to put you under as much pressure as we possibly can so that you get very comfortable in those moments. And, you know, we don't really want to focus on, and I'm not trying to focus on thinking while I'm out there playing, but more so reacting because, I've been in those situations and enough that I don't have to worry about it. I see it before it happens and I make that play. And I think a lot of that comes from just playing so many different sports and, and playing, not practicing, but playing. A lot of it isn't, you know, your wall ball reps or, you know, getting out and doing your drills with your cones. It's more about that muscle memory and, and putting yourself in different situations. So when it comes game time, you're not thinking about, oh, I made a mistake or what should I do, but you're just out there playing. And, you know, I think that's important. Practicing less and playing more is, is always advice I like to give to people who are just starting or people that are look, looking to be super competitive as well. I love it. That's great advice. Practicing Jamie, yeah. less and playing more is uh, incredibly interesting. And I, I, wouldn't, I would love to hear you elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so – when I'm out there and, and I'm training personally for the, the WPLL or the world championship, or I'm out doing an individual as some of my Loyola players, it's not about drilling or it's not about the technical skill. You know, obviously when you're, when you're starting those skills and those basics are so important and you're not going to be able to get to the next level until you build those foundations. But once you have that skill set, you know, it's a lot more of building the game to your training. So you're not just doing rep after rep, but you're more looking at taking a game situation and implementing that into your training. So a lot of what I do is, and if anyone's been on, um, on Instagram, they see that, or they hear about lax cardio, but, um, well, all that is, is it's more playing at a high intensity level, incorporating all those ba basic skills and training that you would do by itself, but putting it into a game situation um, and looking at yourself as out of breath as possible and, and challenging yourself, whether that's, you know, you're doing the same dodge over and over, but rolling out to see if you have that double team, keeping it, driving back into the net, and then working on your BTB to hit that high to low shot. So taking everything, putting it into one and, and playing through it rather than just focusing on that one skill over and over. Um, but like I said, the basics are absolutely super important. But to me, like a behind the back is a basic skill. So I don't look at that as, as something that's above and fancy. To me, that's, that's like my right hand. Mm -hmm. Totally. I that's love awesome. it. And that might be the most Canadian thing you'll ever hear, but it, <laughs> you'll hear it from <laughs> most Canadians. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I've been I, um, over the last couple of years playing uh, with my kids. I've got daughters and, and my youngest, we, we end up playing street lacrosse with boys and girls and we made that our model. And instead of drilling, instead of repping, like I used to do more so years in years past. And what I found was, first of all, back to the point of it's just lacrosse and boys and girls can play together with a small net and a tennis ball in the street and have an incredibly good time and a competitive time, but also the development on top of the joy is, is phenomenal. So I, I just love hearing that concept that you're talking about. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's funny cause I actually was speaking to another fellow Canadian the other day, Selena, and she does that same like type of lax cardio you're talking about. She said she likes to put her balls farther and farther back so that like you have to sprint back and go get the balls and then, you know, use that <laughs> imagination to set up all those dodges and the BTBs and the fake, 
fake behind the back and do like a lever shot, you know? So it's just, she's always going to be out there playing to get that fitness and not necessarily like one than the other, you know? Yeah. Like, and that's, that's a, that's the best advice I can give people. Like, I think it's so important. You got to build your, you got to build your conditioning level up. So, you know, whether that's your 100 jog backs or your 300, depending on what position you play, you know, that's that foundational aspect that you have to to build. And then once you get to that level, you know, now you need to be out there playing at a, a high intensity. So it prevents that injury because you're in shape. But for me, while someone's going out there and they're running, you know, five miles to prepare for a world championship while they're running five miles, I have a stick in my hand and I'm out there and I'm playing lacrosse. And that's how it kind of always been my philosophy. And it, it's worked for me it might not work for everyone. Um, but I think, you know, I'm a lacrosse player. I'm not a cross country runner or I'm definitely not a sprinter if you've seen me play. So <laughs> I think that's where kind of thinking about what are your strengths and focus on those when you're training and you're playing. And then while you're doing that, also lift up those weaknesses. So it's different for everyone, but I think playing more is definitely um, what we need to, we need to see more in our athletes and in our sport. It's awesome. Love it. Well, I'm going to shift gears a little bit to defense, um, which I love. I always got to play. A little I love defense too, call. <laughs> um, I don't like when you're playing defense on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just moving into like Loyola and your philosophy, were you guys like super high pressure, man to man, playing zone and man? Give us a little bit about like your, what your go-to is right now for Loyola. Yeah, our, our philosophy is if you have the ball, we want it back. And, and that takes all eight of us down there, including our keepers. And, you know, our goalie is the anchor in our defense. Um, all of our goalies have played a very active style, whether that's interceptions, ground balls, kickstarting. They're the first look of our fast break. So um, we kind of build our defense every year out from who we have and our strengths there. So it changes a little bit every single season, but the core philosophy and fundamentals are always um, pretty locked in. So we like to force the offense into shots that they wouldn't want to take as our number one goal. And that changes depending on what offense we're playing. So there's a lot of adjustments that we make per game, which I think makes it very difficult to play against us because you're not going to see the same defense midfield or offense that you've seen the, the game before, depending on who we're playing. Um, we like to invest our, our money and our time into our goalie and our matchup defenders. And those might be defenders in high school or midfielders in high school. Um, we don't really recruit specifically just straight defenders unless those straight defenders are obviously, you know, great standout defenders out there, but looking at their strengths and their weaknesses and then just covering behind that, but love to send doubles, love to stay true to just one V ones and hold them and, and force that ball out. But anticipating the play, knowing that, knowing the offensive sets that we're going to see and being a step ahead of them and stealing that ball as quick as we can so we can play more offense. So I'd say we're not a traditional player-to-player style defense. We throw in some zone uh, zone concepts in there too, but it, it's hard to explain because it really is specific to the players that we have in that season. But if you got the ball, we want it back, and we're going to figure out how to get that. For sure. What I have saw this season, you guys were super, athletic uh, another Philly girl Katie Detweiler was crushing it and I just think that you guys had an amazing um, athleticism and really good at anticipation um, and just like when to make that move to take the risk 
Yeah, and I think I think playing, um, you know, Jen Adams is obviously an incredible mind of just lacrosse in and of itself. She was a matchup defender when she first started um, playing for Australia. So I played midfield myself all growing up, and then Caroline um, attacked for us at Loyola. So we do have a lot of offensive-minded styles on our staff, but I think knowing how someone wants to score and, and knowing how to read and react to the play offensively allows us to be a step ahead defensively. And, you know, we're not a cookie cutter type um, coaching style as is, and definitely not on defense. So we give the girls a lot of freedom. If they see something, you know, attack it. And then it's a backside looking to cover it up. So it's, it's definitely not um, a traditional style of defense, but I think it works really well with the personnel that we have. And when you're at practice, what is, do you do a ton of one B ones? Do you do, do a lot of man down? What is your go-to defensive drills to help them get ready to play? Yeah, we do focus on a lot of player down um, drills, and in that way you're focusing on the offense, 2v1 splits, but then also defensively reading it off ball and then covering one another. So a lot of player down as much as we can. Um, we do some 1v1s, and a lot of that is more an individual-based and then we put a lot of pressure on the defense to focus on film breakdown, looking at their strengths or weaknesses, um, and then stepping up and grabbing those players in practice that maybe they can't stop and focusing on that going into the next practice so that they can, they can really work on some of those areas that they might be uh, deficient in. So I think defensively what we find across the board, no matter what team you're on, you know, those defenders – don't take things too personally and they're extremely competitive. So if they get scored on, they're not blaming someone else. They're blaming themselves and they're going to figure out how to fix it. Um, and call, you can talk a lot more on that too, where, you know, attackers, we might be a little bit more sensitive, but those defenders, you know, they're going to work so that they don't get beat again. And I think that's just what makes defenders so special. Oh yeah. I mean, you hit home on something for me that I talk about my girls <laughs> all the time, that the moment I hear a defender call out another defender, like, how did you, not like get that slide I'm like as a defender you are your toughest critic like you you know what you did wrong and you're just like crap I let down my team I need to make it happen so you don't need your teammate or anyone else telling you you didn't stop that person you know so like that was a huge focus absolutely my, like, club team and my my high school team just to be like hey you guys got to pick each other up like there's nothing worse than getting beat 101 you don't need to say nothing. it out loud again like, yeah no, no. Yeah, if you you're if you're sensitive, if you're sensitive, you should not be a defender because exactly. it's uh, you're not going to make it too far. So that's why I just love coaching defense so much because right? they're just so tough and you know they read between the lines. They're not trying to powder puff anything. They want to hear it straight and they want to make changes. So you know right? they're such a fun unit to work with. Yeah, you have the head coach being like, you know, Colleen, how the heck did you get beat there? You're like, thank you for announcing it to the world. I know I made a huge mistake, and you yeah. just have to. <laughs> You just have to, you know, keep your head up and get the next one. Um, exactly. Jane, you got anything on the defensive uh, unit? Yeah, I have a question on how you guys um, philosophically think about um, playing defense against pick and rolls. Yeah, I think, um, I think Jamie, it changes depending on what that offensive look is. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities where you can kind of squeeze press that ball carrier and you can stay on your player, which you see a lot in basketball mm -hmm. that's staying on. And then also anytime defensively where my shoulder makes contact with my teammate's shoulder, you know, you can't split us. So you can't, you can't pick and flip us. You can't fake pick and flip us. 
you know, we have that center area blocked and now we can switch and we can, we can make sure our sticks up or we're pushing the ball back to where they don't want to be. So we work a lot on that timing and anticipating, you know, what do they want to do and how can we take it away? Um, and that's like a split second reaction. And we allow that defense to make that call and prepare them going into that game so they can take away that advantage from the offense. Um, so you're saying that you put enough pressure on that you're going to be able to push over picks. Is that kind of what you're saying or did I misunderstand that? Yeah. So we're ready. We're ready to play for both. So, you yeah. know, if it's a, a top matchup and I don't want Colleen to, to be able to use that pick and flip to get open, we're staying on. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it gets to a point where that pick is successful and now we're defensively making contact with one another, we're going to push each other off and make sure we can cover that ground. Yeah. So being able to play it both ways. Got it. Awesome. Makes sense. Comes down to that communication um, with your unit. And those, those practices are not pretty because it's a lot of, it's a lot of trial and error. People, you know, you get embarrassed and you get, you know, annoyed with it. And if the offense is feeling themselves and the defense isn't, and when you're working on the defense, the offense has never been better. When you're working on the offense, the defenders have never been better. So um, it's just so a lot true. of patience and just fighting through it. <laughs> for sure. Uh, Going to ask more of like a transition question as well for your team. And I know that traditionally like where you played, Marilyn and same with Jen, you always had those like workhorse middies that like really never came off the field. For Loyola, do you guys have like, three kids that never come off? Do you run lines? Do you have A midi, D midi? What do you guys have going on? Or is it very specific to what you have for that team that year? Yeah, we've, um, you know, we've seen the midfield change a lot in, uh, in the top 10 or the top 20 in, in college lacrosse. Well, people will run lines or um, some people will keep their midfield on. And we just really work strongly with our midfield unit. You're, you're lucky if you have five or six midfielders that can play at that high level that you're looking to play with that first line midfield. Um, and that's kind of what we're focusing on in that off season is to be able to create as many midfielders playing at the highest level possible so that they can continue to just work with one another to keep that speed up transition offensively but also keep up that pace defensively um and for me i put a lot of trust in those midfielders and allowing them to understand where they are specific aspects of the game do we need to come to the sideline to let someone be full speed full tilt in there or can they push through and and get another transition goal put the ball in the back of the net and walk back to center so we don't specifically have you know you're only playing for three to five minutes or we're switching um lines at all we really leave that up to our starting midfielders to go as hard as they possibly can and to make sure they're resting so they can play at that high level. So we're, um, we're typically playing with five or six midfielders. Um, and depending on where they're at in that game, we'll make some adjustments, but we're letting them, we're re- letting them run loose. Nice. Makes sense. And then do you have obviously like a draw unit? You have your like ones that, you know, you want on the circle. Like what's your, do you have you working on circle drills every day? Do you have like a weekly thing? What's your draw perspective? Um, yeah, we um, we have our little we have our little draw team that we uh, we work on daily with them, and it's it's interesting because it doesn't really matter what position you are; you can be an expert either in the circle or, or on the circle. So we have um, three girls that take the draw, two attackers. 
um, and a midfielder. And then we have, you know, your, your favorite Detweiler. She's on the circle too. Um, and then depending on who's taking the draw, they're on the other side of the circle. And, you know, that's something that we're working on daily. And to anyone out there who, who is on their draw team or, or wants to be on a draw team in college, you know, that time and effort comes in before or after practice. You know, there's, I don't think there's any team really in the country that has enough time within their practices to kind of focus on that. Although it's so important that time, that time and that commitment comes before or after. So, you know, whether that's 20 minutes before practice or after or just on their own in general, um, we're constantly working on hand-eye coordination, forearm and wrist strength, read and reacting, putting that ball where you want it. Um, and then your counter draws when like shit is hitting the fan and you can't win a draw, you know, what is that next look and how can we prepare for that? So a lot of time those girls put into it on their own and as a, a draw unit as well. And we don't have a face off, get off person. Um, you know, if you can win a draw and you can jump in the air with one hand and snag that ball where other people can't, I want you on the field. I don't want you on the sidelines. So right. that's where we're a little bit different in that area too. I love it. I mean, they've got you to learn from so they're in good hands <laughs> oh my gosh these girls call it to kick my butt these days <laughs> hey give yourself more credit they're so good <laughs> i was on youtube watching your uh, draw videos um <laughs> just before our season was canceled so i think there's just there needs to be more information out there for people to learn how to the techniques for um for being a successful draw taker yeah, and I think I think that goes back to just playing around and and, and Jamie, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, educating coaches on different um styles and skills that go into that. But, you know, my biggest advice for people who take the draw is you just gotta figure some of it out yourself. It's a feel it's a field awareness thing. It's you, you need to have quick wrists and quick reaction and great one handed um strength, but you also have to be able to adjust and, and make adjustments as the ball is being set or if the ball is already set. So, you know, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to win the draw. It's do you win it or don't you win it? Does your team win it or don't, or doesn't your team win it? Um, and being able to kind of play around with your strengths, whether it's your size or your speed or your reach, just really understanding what you can do. And when it's not going well, what can you do to change that? So um, I think for anyone out there, it's, it's, it's a lot of trial and error and, uh, and making it specific to what you can do well. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I totally hear you. I put a lot of trust in my players' feedback is like what you're saying because it's a feel. Like I'm like, hey, what did that feel like for you? Or can you adjust or do you go to the next one? Like do you go to the next person, you know? So it's like kind of trusting their instinct and their judgment if they can make the call, you know? Yeah, and our draw team, they just work well with one another that they understand when there's a mismatch, you know, whether that's like, a side mismatch and you're putting it in a perfect spot in the air, but you might not be able to jump as high as one of your teammates. So in the game too, I just love seeing them working with each other and, and being able to be humbled in a moment for their team and say, I'm not the right person in here. You go take it. I got you on the circle. So, you know, I love yeah. when I see that and they make their own adjustments before I have to call it in. That's great. That's awesome. How much of um, winning draws is your ability to adjust and, instead of trying to put it where you want it with your own force and quickness to like use their momentum to put it where you want it and let them push it while you pull it. Or, or is that, is that a big part of it? That feel? 
Yeah, I think, you know, if you're winning it where you want, where you want to, that's goal number one. And then you're in control. And, and the second step to that, Jamie, I would say is if you feel like you're not in control is being able to adapt to that and counter and use what your opponent is doing to your advantage. And, you know, that comes from getting your wingers in the right position, whether before the whistle or when the whistle is blown, um, whether that's like signals between your wingers and your centers or your coaches. So um, I would say step one, put the ball where you want to. And if you feel like you can't, two, being able to counter that and use what your opponent is doing to your advantage is where you see, you know, good centers versus the great centers, is the great centers being able to adapt in that split second. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. All right, Dan, I got one last question, unless Jamie has a couple more too, just about um, recruiting right now. Obviously, it's wild out here. It's wild times. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what to do. What's your advice kind of for the 22s um, regarding film? Do you want to see them doing workouts? Like I had a call um, with a couple of my Northwestern teammates, all the coaches out there. They're like, we wanted to see the kids like working hard and crushing it out there and like how – what are they doing that can show their athleticism and, you know, to set them apart because they have the time coaches have the time right now to watch film. Do you agree? Do you have any other advice? Kind of what are your thoughts? Yeah. And these are just like my personal thoughts, but um, you know, I think for, for all the recruits out there and their parents and, and even club coaches to understand that college coaches are in the same boat. It's, you know, unprecedented times. And just as they're unsure about the recruiting landscape, college coaches are equally unsure. And I think that's where we can come to a common ground and just really understand that we're both in the same position and it's okay. You know, it's going to look a lot differently this summer and that's okay. Or we're not going to have the answers of what to do and when to do it. And, and that's okay. You know, we all need 22s. We're all going to be recruiting the 22s when we can. And, And in my opinion, I think that's fine. You know, if kids out there want to video them in the backyard playing around because they feel like that's going to help them in the recruiting process, you know, that's great. If there's other recruits out there that are thinking, you know, now's not the time. There's a lot of, of bigger things going on in the world right now than, than me being out in the backyard practicing or trying to get recruited. You know, I respect that as well. So I just think if it, it makes you feel better and, and you want to do it, absolutely. Absolutely, you know, go ham out there and, and send emails and make videos. But, you know, I don't think that's going to be make or break for these 22s at all. I think there's going to be a time and a place. And when recruiting is on, you know, we'll all be out there on the sideline. And, you know, I think it's going to all work out. And it's going to be okay. So. I love it. I love the glass half full for you. The positive outlook. <laughs> I agree. No, I said that to one of my players earlier. I was like, hey, we're all in this together. It's not like, you know, you're the only 22 not going to get seen. It's, it's a Nate, it's a national problem. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, that's the nice part. It's comforting. Like people aren't getting ahead of others, but not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Be prepared to be your best self when you come out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think now is the time to focus on other things. Like for me and my training, when, uh, when our season got canceled, just like the 22s, summer season may get canceled I know it hasn't completely but you know there's a possibility you know you change what you're doing so that you can help yourself down the road so right now I'm not training to play in June right now I'm focusing more on like mobility and flexibility and my stick work and and really focusing on those things that we haven't had time to do over the past couple months when you've been in full swing of things so um I love that now's the time to to focus on what can make you a better player and 
know, when recruiting happens, recruiting will happen. And um, we all need recruits and they need to get recruited. And the timeline may not look like what we anticipated. It's going to be new and it's going to be specific to the 22s. Um, and I'm not worried about that at all. I agree. Love it. Good advice. James? No, I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, Dana, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We, uh, we love talking lacrosse and we love talking it with you. Stay healthy and stay safe up there and um, hopefully our uh, pass will cross. Yeah. Awesome, Thanks, you guys. Dean. Thank you so much for having me. It was so nice to, uh, to chit-chat about lacrosse in a day that's full of Zoom calls. So <laughs> thank you guys so much. And you guys stay safe as well. All right. Thanks, Thanks Dana. Dana. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys.